As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stayskull, joined as always by my friend and colleague Paul Tenorio, and we are back in our normal groove, Paul. We're both in the United States. We're both in our respective homes. We are not recording this show at three in the morning, uh, <laughs> and we're not talking about a U.S. men's national team match. We are talking about MLS and League MX and CCL and all these different clubs and all these different openings and all these different things that are going on around the league. So yeah, I'll run that down in a minute. But but Paul, how does it feel? How does it feel to be home? It looks like you got a haircut. You look cleaner. Oh man, um, I needed a you haircut. You look refreshed. I needed a haircut so badly, Sam. As I said to you multiple times in Nashville, and I finally got it. I feel better once I got the haircut. Yeah. Um, you know, I just for those of you who can't can't see us, which is literally every single person listening to this show, <laughs> my hair is roughly seventy times longer than Paul's. Um. I got a haircut recently. It was kind of a disaster. I need to get another one. It's uh, it's a saga. So Paul talking about his clean cut hair journey that basically looks the same as it did before he got it cut. You know, he's one of those people. Just keep that in mind. It just narrows it down. It just it makes my big head look a little less big. That's all. <laughs> um, I was having some real like uh like. I don't know, advanced PTSD. I booked my flight home from Columbus post Costa Rica for next month. Uh-huh. And I booked, uh, it's actually my birthday that day that I'm flying home. I booked a 6 15 a.m. flight home. Wow. Just Happy birthday to, myself, to you. Early birthday. I was thinking to myself, man, this flight is going to hurt because we're going to be recording allocation disorder at two yeah. in the morning in a hotel in Columbus. And I'm just going straight to the airport. That's optimistic. It is optimistic. It'll start earlier because we're not, we, yeah. you know, it was a late start in Honduras. So. Oh, that's true. Anyways, we're back. We back. We're back. We're back and better than ever. Um, So yeah, like I sort of hinted at, uh, we are going to talk about a few different things. Going to talk a little bit about the CONCACAF Champions League. MLS is now out of the tournament as the Philadelphia Union lost 2-0 at home to Club America on Wednesday evening to lose that series 4-0. In the semifinals, um, America will advance to play the winner of Monterey and Cruz Azul, who play on Thursday night. In the final, so Liga MX's reign of dominance in that tournament will continue. Um, we're also going to talk a little bit about 
the various openings around MLS. There are quite a few of them already. Uh, none of them have been fil- none of them have been filled yet, right? Um, so there, there are quite a few that, that are still pending. So we'll talk a little bit about that, some intel that we have there. And then, Paul, we've talked a lot about some bad teams on this show. We've talked, <laughs> we've talked a lot about Inter Miami on this show. Suddenly not bad, by the way. Well, they're better than the other bad teams. Yes. Um, we have not spent much time talking about Toronto FC. So we're going to spend a segment on TFC. How do you fix TFC? And there is a whole lot to fix at TFC. So we'll, we'll spend a little time there, but we'll start with CCL and the Philadelphia union and MLS once more, not winning this tournament, not even advancing to the final. Um, you know, I thought Jim Curtin had an interesting quote about this game afterwards last night. And I'm just, I'm stalling here. I'm filling a little bit of time so I can pull it up. You can probably hear me typing right now because I want to get it exactly right. Um, our buddy, John Arnold, uh, from the CONCACAF newsletter, get, getting CONCACAF and uh, the striker Texas. He was he was in Philly for this match. He compared MLS teams, Jim Curtin, trying to catch League MX squads and CCL to a fight between brothers where the little brother gets hit, gets in a hit once in every 100 fights. It's not really a rivalry, Curtin said. League MX has control of this championship. We're working to get to their level. Um, some other stats, Brian Strauss from Sports Illustrated, he tweeted this out after MLS fell short. Again, no MLS club has ever won an international trophy without playing all, all, all of the games in the United States. Um, in 51 all-time series between Canadian and American clubs against Mexican clubs, MLS teams have won nine. That's a 17.6 win percentage in the TAM era. So since TAM was was added to MLS in 2015, MLS has won seven of 27 series. It's a little bit better, but as Brian notes, still just 25% win rate. So Paul, for all the talk, for all the harmony and the kumbaya and, and the growth and yada, 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 and the all-star game, et cetera, it's still pretty bleak, man. Like MLS cannot get over this hump. And like, to be honest with you, Philly, like, they didn't get blown out. A lot of those goals that America scored were a little bit weird. The fourth one was just like a late consolation and Philly had, you know, kind of control of, of large stretches of that match, but they weren't really that close either. Um, and that's understandable in some ways, but in others, a little bit less so. So I've been talking for a while now. Let's let you talk. What are your kind of general thoughts, both on that series and the big picture of where things stand? Well, I think it's a simple one from the big picture. I mean, there, here's one other stat that Brian Strauss had last night. There's only two teams in MLS who have won more than one game over a Liga MX team. Two. Sporting Kansas City has won two games, and Toronto FC has won three games. And that, to me, shows... Is that games or series? Sorry, I think it's series. series. Yeah. So that, to me, shows that there is a real ability for MLS teams to have one-off wins, to be competitive in a year but not to be consistently competitive. There isn't there. They just do not yet have the depth on these rosters to compete with what the lead, the best teams in Mexico are doing. Their spend is so significant, so much more significant that it's essentially impossible to kind of be competitive year over year for, for major league soccer. Yeah. And yeah. and the teams that we've seen that have been the most competitive, and I think there's really just one, 
You know, LAFC went to the final last year, but that was a neutral site, one-off games. I, I kind of want to throw Single that one animation. out the window. Yeah. Toronto FC had maxed out their budget. You know, absolutely maxed it out. And that's what you need to do. Yeah. And they had the star power, right? They took out Tigres and America in yeah. that one tournament. And, and they and- lost to Chivas in, in penalties. I think it was Chivas, right? Uh, in the final. And... But they had Sebastian Javinko, they had Josie Altidore, they had Michael Bradley, and all of those guys were firing. And by the way, going so hard in that tournament, in the knockout rounds, in the early part of the year, they got hurt and they tanked that season in MLS. They didn't even make the playoffs. Well, I, I think one thing that really stands out to me about that run in particular and that roster is that it is basically the league has since then pushed to move away from that roster to disincentivize teams from following that model that made them the most competitive they had ever been against Mm -hmm. a Mexican side against Mexican teams. The incentives from the league have now been to move younger to spend less on transfer fees. Well, I don't know about, I don't know about that. Sorry, not less on transfer fees. (laughs) Thank you. To spend less on salaries and to incentivize, and and I have no problem with that. And, I and actually not even, have no problem not with, even with less. trying to decrease the spend. No, because they do with young money. The incentive is there to spend less on the transfer fee. Sure. And, no, I just and wanted certainly you less on the salary. Right. You I just wanted you salary. to specify specify there because salaries have still gone up around the league. So yeah, they but they put a cap in on young money, and and essentially that was done to try to prevent MLS teams from overspending on salaries for these young guys that they're buying. They, I think MLS is still learning. The international market and learning what what the proper sure. salaries are for these players they buy. But I do think it's interesting that the that the league, as much as they want to be competitive with Mexico, have certainly moved away from the TFC model that made them the most competitive. And I think that just shows, from my end, it just shows that we're years and years and years away, barring a drastic change in the structure of MLS from mm-hmm. from seeing MLS competitive in this tournament, you know, consistently. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think, you know, look at League's Cup, right? Like, Seattle is in the final, right? But this Seattle team, much like that Toronto team, veteran, experienced, big stars who show up in big matches, right? They're not a very young team up there, the Sounders. They've played a lot more young players this year, but their main contributors are guys that are 27, 28, 29, 30 plus, right? And, I mean, I don't know. I think I think it's a good model. I think it's fine, like... I, I understand why MLS is trying to do the things where they're going younger and becoming more of a selling league, but it's just, I don't know. It's not a magic formula. We've talked about it a billion damn times on this show. Like if they want to compete with league MX, they got to allow for more spend and they got to allow it across the roster and not just in certain buckets. And until that changes, I think we'll continue to see what we've seen and we'll continue to see what Curtin called, you know, the little brother fighting against the big brother and the little brother, even if they're relatively similar in size, can never seem to get more than a hit in, right? And uh, I don't know. I don't really see that changing anytime soon. And MLS team might win this tournament. They've come close a few times already. But on balance, I think Liga MX will continue to, to kind of dominate. Yeah, and, and I, I think part of it too is going to be what, what I'm interested to see is just how the evolution of young money happens. Because if you start to see some teams aiming for guys who are on the top end of that that age restriction, 
who are 22 years old, right on the border. Right, and then they can stay in it and, until and they're, they're allowed to stay in for three years, right? So that you know that could change the dynamic of some of these rosters. If now you have two normal DPS, one young DP who's 22, 23, and then three 22 year old DPS who are aging up in in different years yeah. that are you know between 22 and 25, and then you have two or three TAM guys, you know now we're talking about Seven, yeah, eight, nine well, deep. It's those U twenty two guys. Those young money guys have to hit, right? And, and like, it's still very, very early. So I'm not trying to like throw stones here because it's super early in the process. But we haven't seen those guys really hit yet for MLS teams, and there hasn't been a critical mass of them yet. And teams are still dipping their toes in. So and give it's them early. Time. It's early. Some of these players are going that look like they're not hits right now are going to yeah. look like hits next year or 100%. the year after that. So hundred percent. I just think. You know, again, my takeaway with Champions League is what it always is. Maybe a team gets lucky, gets a couple bounces to go their way. You know, maybe there's a TFC-like roster that's really strong for one year. And and we'll get to this later. But when you have that type of roster in MLS, it becomes very difficult to turn it over. If, you, if you're not quick to turn it over when you need to, and, and that roster ages, yeah. <laughs> it causes some big problems. So... Just a whole lot of elements here, but I think again, if you if you get some bounces and you have the the DPS hitting at the right time, you can be competitive. But yeah, on the on the grand scale, from when you're comparing one league to the other, it's just it just shows that from a purely sporting perspective, purely the soccer on the field, MLS mm-hmm. still has a ways to go. Yeah, and I think that's the right way to frame it. That's what Strauss put in his tweet. That's what you've been saying. Long way to go, right? And for all of the talk about understanding not even all the talk for all of the understanding at mls that if the league is going to grow in the way it wants to it needs to tap in and kind of take league mx fans who live in the united states and turn them into mls fans the only way to do that is to make the league consistently and markedly and demonstrably better than league mx and that's going it looks like it's going to be a years-long process i do think it will happen eventually paul like I think it's kind of an inevitability, but that's how I feel about a lot of things with MLS. And the big question is how fast or how slow and how long is it going to take? And it feels like this is still going to take a while. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the big question. You got to it before I was going to throw it back to you and say, the real question is how fast do you think it'll happen? How How quickly does the league want to grow or how much do they want to continue to kind of go inch by inch? And typically I would say... My my answer to that would be that the MLS owners would love to just continue to move very slowly, but the 2026 mm-hmm. World Cup is kind of the, the thing that throws a wrench. Yeah, and the TV deal in 2023. Um, I mean, if you just look, if you take the 2026 World Cup out of the equation and you take the 2023 TV deal out of the equation, I don't even know why I'm doing that. But if you take do, if you do that, if you if you be ridiculous like I'm about to be, and you just look at the CBA, right, then it's not going to happen in the current lifespan of the CBA. I think we can say that. Now, the CB, the owners could change that spending. They could increase it. The players' union's not going to have any issues with that, of course, if they get big hits in the in the TV deal and and in off of the World Cup. But I don't think this is happening anytime in the next five years. I don't think it's happening before the World Cup. Maybe it'll happen after, but I don't think it's happening before. Do you? No, I agree with that. Um, and and who knows? After it might it might take a while. After it might not. 
it's going to be such a brave new world and an entirely new landscape. It's impossible to predict, really. And really, all it means is that right now the league is still putting a, a far higher premium on the competitiveness with of the league itself within the league. The teams staying competitive every yep. year, having the parity, Story of MLS. Uh, enormous playoff pool. Um, that'll probably <laughs> it'll probably get bigger when these expansion teams come in. It'd be great if they left it at seven and seven when they had you know, a full expansion roster come through when they have 30 teams to have 14 of the 30 go in, that would fit. Do you not think it would be eight and eight? I mean, it's a much cleaner bracket if you do eight and eight. They'll probably go 10 and 10. Let's 10 and be, 10? Let's just be A honest. full two thirds? I just think MLS is just going to shove all go, in on that. I don't think they'll go that far. But, you know, I just think that their focus is is on parity within MLS and not so much on parity with with. Mexico with Liga. Par- well, it's not just parity. It's parity with controlled costs. Because you can still have parity and in, in raise spending. It's parity with controlled costs. With that, I think we're going to take a break. You've probably a little sick of us talking about MLS and Liga MX and all that jazz. So we'll keep it short on that segment. Um, we're going to come back after this short break with some talk about the openings around the league uh, for head coaching and GM roles. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. Sam School coming at you hot out of that break uh joined as always i'm trying to bring the energy paul last last show I, my dad was like yeah i could tell you were recording at 3 a.m sam and i was like well i was tired i'm not gonna apologize for that but you know i, I want to i want to up the level i said on the out. show that we were trying to be quiet out of respect i mean for our i wasn't really thinking of that but it's good that you were you're a better person than me <laughs> i'm louder in general i don't know how to control the volume of my voice <laughs> I suffer from that same issue. Anyway, uh, we might not know how to control the volume of our voices, but we do know how to use them to talk about Major League Soccer job openings. I, I don't know. That was that was really a tortured segue there, but we, we went for it. Uh, there are quite a few, and we have a little bit of news on a couple of them. So first, starting in Salt Lake, RSL, obviously Freddy Juarez. Have we even talked about the Freddy Juarez situation on this show? Or was that? I, I don't think we have. No, I mean it was uh it, it landed right before World Cup qualifiers basically, right. right? And I think and right after we did our our show right before World Cup qualifying. So I don't even think let's spend a little time there, but we'll, we'll so Freddie Juarez, he he left RSL as head coach to go be an assistant with the Seattle Sounders, which is wild. Um he left RSL when they were in playoff position. They still are in playoff position. Pablo Mastroeni is the new interim head coach. He was an assistant there previously. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard or seen of anything like this. You know, I went on the radio in Salt Lake City yesterday, Paul, and 
I made the comparison. This is like if the Jazz were the fifth seed in the Western Conference and the head coach was like, you know what? I'm going to quit and go be the assistant for the top-seeded Lakers. Can you imagine that? Like, can you imagine how big of a story that would be? It's wild, it's right? Wild. And the optics, the optics of this are terrible for Salt Lake. But if you peel back the layers a little bit, it starts to become a little more understandable. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because when we talk about head coaching positions in any sport, you know, you brought up the NBA, but you look at all of the, the top divisions or all of the top leagues in the world, there are so few of these jobs that exist. You know, the opportunity is so limited. And so anytime you see a coach walk away from one of those 27, in the case of MLS, head coaching jobs, you say, what in the world is going on? Especially one that, you know, when your team's in the playoffs and you can maybe put together another good season and make a case to be a head coach elsewhere. But clearly, Freddie Juarez saw the writing on the wall that he wasn't going to get renewed. He didn't feel like he was going to get renewed in Salt Lake. And he went for the long-term security over trying to prove himself again. And so I, you know, you step back and you look at the human side of it and it becomes a little bit more understandable, but yeah, I think it's a bad look for Salt Lake in, in multiple ways. And I, I also think, you know, credit to the Sounders to go for that move and to make a case for why he should come and join the Sounders immediately. You know, you, yeah, I would it's have, pretty wild. I mean, just, and they were willing to pay to do it. So clearly they, they yeah. rated him. And so that's, that's another element to the story. And our, our buddy Felipe Cardenas reported this out. But obviously, one of the reasons the Sounders needed an assistant coach was because Gonzalo Pineda left Seattle to become head coach of Atlanta United, a much more uh, traditional <laughs> coaching move <laughs> than what we saw with Juarez. He left, Jimmy Traore also left to go back to Europe. I, I believe there were maybe some family things in, involved there, but he's taking a role at a top flight club. I don't think that's been announced quite yet. Um, but they had two vacancies mid-season on their staff that they needed to fill. Um, they paid RSL for Juarez to get him out of contract mid-season. And what Felipe reported is that Atlanta actually ended up paying RSL. I don't know if it was a direct payment or not, but as part of the deal for Atlanta to get Pineda, Seattle basically negotiated like, hey, if you guys want Gonzalo, that's cool. You're going to have to pay us for him and you're going to have to pay for his replacement as well. <laughs> um, so Atlanta paying paying double on that. Um, but Gonzalo Pineda, he's off to a pretty solid start with Atlanta. So, you know, I think uh, I think they're more than happy to have made that move so far. Overall, minimal, minimal outlay for Arthur Blank. Don't think he's hurting on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so. Just sell a few more two-by-fours and it'll be okay. Uh, anyway, we haven't even gotten to the opening yet. So RSL is in the interview process already. Pablo Mastroeni is interim. He's 2-2. Two and two. Uh, They are coming off of a wild 4-3 to three win at San Jose last night in which Vachofis scored a hat trick at home and his team still lost. Three of the craziest goals you will ever see. Please go watch them if you haven't already. That was a wild game. Uh, so he's two and two off to a decent start. Uh, they have also interviewed, according to my reporting, Landon Donovan, uh, head coach of San Diego Loyal in USL. He also has a little bit of history with RSL. They offered him a deal in ahead of the 2017 season that would have made him a DP. I believe it got nixed 
basically because the league wouldn't approve it, uh, which is a whole thing. Free agency um, rules. Free agency rules. There it was. Free agency rules. Um, Jason Kreis has received another interview. He got offered, I believe, the head coaching and GM job. I think we reported that, Paul, didn't we? After the was that after nineteen yeah, few, few years back yeah, yeah after after that would have been before Juarez was made full time head coach um so after the nineteen season uh and Rob Valentino speaking of Atlanta the interim head coach of Atlanta between Gabi Heinze and Gonzalo Pineda who is still an assistant with Atlanta um and was pretty widely praised for the job he did as interim manager. Uh, got an interview as well. From what I understand, a lot of other people got interviews. They're still kind of in the first round of the process. There's nothing like super imminent or anything at this point. But those are some interesting names. Does anything jump out at you there, Paul, in terms of those three candidates? Yeah. What jumps out to me is that it's clearly they're casting a wide net. You know, the these, these yeah. candidates are coming from all different angles. Landon Donovan, huge name, coaching in USL. He's done okay there. But, you know, obviously high profile. Rob mm-hmm. Valentino, the opposite of high profile. I guess I would be low profile. <laughs> I don't need to say the opposite of high profile. Rob Valentino. <laughs> no, it was a, a nice, an, it was a good rhetorical flourish. You Paul. know, and you did as, well there. Assistant coach for Atlanta speak United. Good. <laughs> yeah. As we know, that's my trademark on this show. I speak good. Um, you know, Rob is a great guy. I got to know him when he was playing for Orlando City's USL team. He was the captain. He was the leader of the locker room back then. He was kind of the glue of the team. And I know, you know, I felt like Orlando City made a mistake not to bring him onto the expansion roster just to be that presence in the locker room when they went up to MLS. I think they regretted not doing it. You know, they ended up needing a center backs and signing a terrible international center back, David Mateos. It was just a disaster of a move. But anyways, all of that aside, he clearly has that leadership quality that it's just kind of natural to who he is and the presence to command a locker room as a coach and as a player. So no, I'm not knocking him, but he's definitely not high profile. And I think it's a good thing that RSL is looking at all of these different types of candidates. Jason Christ, yeah. you know, has been has kind of had this weird, bizarre career since he left RSL. And it's been a struggle for him since not he left been RSL. Great. And and you know, maybe it would be a, the right place for Jason Christ to go back and, and try to reinvent himself a little bit in the place where he invented himself to begin with, I don't know. Um, but again, I, I think it's a good thing that they're casting a, a wide net and um, I'm interested to see which way they go. And, and yeah, there, there's and not I think, a ton of security there, Sam, like, because you don't know who the owner is going to be. And th- that's that the thing. You don't know who the sporting director is going to be. You don't know anything. You don't know who your two bosses are going to be. And that's not a comfortable situation to walk into as a head coach. And it's not a comfortable situation to conduct a coaching search in either. If you're Elliot Fall and John Kimball and Tony Beltran and Rob Zarcos and all the guys out there. And what are they going to pay these guys? What's the budget? Probably, probably not much, man. Like from what I've been told, Freddie Juarez, if he's taking a pay cut to go be an assistant in Seattle, it's not a big one. You <laughs> yeah. know? Yeah. Um, so I, I doubt the budget is huge. You know, they, they still don't really have an owner. Uh, and I think that makes it really extra smart to cast a wide net because you don't know if your top choice is even going to want this job, right? And there's probably a real chance that you might have to go make three, four, five offers before you get somebody to say yes. 
And that's something that they have to be prepared for. Uh, it makes this whole thing a little bit more difficult. I did want to spend a little more time on the Landon thing, though, real quick. Actually, go ahead. Well, I was what, just going to say, I I also think it kind of surprises me in a way that they haven't made an offer yet. I know they've got a fine situation with Mastroeni. He's got head coaching experience in Major League Soccer, and they're in a playoff position. But when yeah. we talk about this leverage... And I think he'll he'll be a candidate, too. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And yeah. When you talk about this leverage situation, you have none right now if you're RSL. If you think there's a guy who would look at it as a step up, maybe you can entice them and say, you'll be coming in and taking over a team that's in the playoffs right now, you know, competitive right off the bat, help us craft our offseason strategy coming out of this season. Like You can use that as leverage. And so I thought they might mm-hmm. move quickly simply because they can make it more enticing yeah. What is not the most enticing situation? Well, there's still but, there's still almost two months before the regular season ends. Yeah, maybe still, maybe it happens. Some time. But I mean, yeah. certainly, you know, you look at a guy like Rob Valentino. That would I think be very intriguing, right? To to leave and step into yeah. a job you just had the taste of it, or for you know somebody like Jason Christ, where you've you've struggled a bit since leaving, and you can walk into a situation where maybe quite, you're right back a, into the playoffs. Struggled a lot, if yeah. we're being honest. Well, it's it's been hard, I'm, but. I'm trying to be nice on this show today, Sam. I feel like I'm a, a, a curmudge recently. A curmudge? <laughs> Going with the abreaves, okay. Um, <laughs> I I did want to spend a little bit more time on Donovan. He doesn't have much experience as a head coach, not even two seasons. Uh, and that, not just as a head coach, as a coach, period. Um, he's also the executive VP of soccer ops or something along those lines for for San Diego. So he has experience on that side of things too. I don't know that he would want to leave for Salt Lake. He's in a pretty comfortable situation in San Diego. It seems like he really enjoys life down there. Who knows what he sees his coaching journey turning into. Um, but, you know, Landon has never been one to just chase for the sake of chasing a big thing. We, we all know that. <laughs> um, so I don't know that that he'd be interested, but considering where this club is and the uncertainty with ownership, uh, the Freddie Juarez situation, right? The, the, the racist, sexist culture that was propagated by Dola Hansen, um, the bad vibes of the Mike Pecky firing, uh, this, it's been a crazy situation there. And Landon Donovan, if he did, if he was offered this job and if he did take it, would immediately become the face of the organization immediately. And, you know, I don't know Landon at all. I've talked to him a couple of times, but you know, if you look at how he's behaved as head coach of San Diego, especially at the end of last season, when there was the whole situation with Colin Martin, a gay player being slurred on the field and Donovan taking his team off the field, I think for two games, right? They didn't play two games. Twice. And and those points cost them a playoff spot. Yes. So if you think about the context of RSL and you think about the context of Landon Donovan and his actions last year and kind of taking a step forward for the organization and what you stand for and the values that you want to project and the values that you want to have, I think it would be interesting from that perspective. And I think it would be kind of a cool new lease um, not a new lease on life, just a cool new direction for the organization to go uh, from that standpoint. Does that mean you should hire him as head coach? No. Like there are a lot of other boxes that need to be checked in that way. Um, but 
it's probably a consideration. I'm sure it's something that they're probably thinking about. Um, and I'd be curious too, if the league is, is playing any kind of role or not any kind of role, but lending any sort of guidance in this search, just considering they're running the sale process. So I don't know, something to think about when you think about RSL. I mean, and if, if they are playing a role because of the sale process, you have a, a market that is limited commercially compared to other markets. And that is not going to draw a lot of star power. You have to create your own stars or create, you know, the team is the star as Jason Christ did when RSL went to MLS Cup and won MLS Cup. And you'd have all of a sudden Landon Donovan. Yeah. You'd have a marketable star. One of the few recognizable stars in American soccer. Yeah. Everyone knows who Landon Donovan is. Any it, sports it fan would, in the U.S. I think... I mean, maybe I'm being ridiculous here to say this. Not that it would impact the sale price, but that it would become a point in the sale process. It it might it might make people who weren't interested or hadn't really realized it was an opportunity. It might make them take notice. I think it would enhance the value, not necessarily the monetary value, but certainly the marketability of the club would take a jump up. And and maybe that matters in Salt Lake City. It would be the opposite of low profile. It would be the opposite of low profile. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. On that note, let's move along. San Jose GM Jeff Carlisle of ESPN reported earlier this week, I think, that they are down to four finalists. Uh, he named three of them. Craig Weibel, who formerly of RSL. Uh, he He was a casualty of some of the drama there, for sure. Uh, former San Jose Earthquake player uh as well and currently uh the number two up in seattle an underplayed um, victim of the rsl drama yeah he caught a surreptitiously recorded text screenshots i believe and and put in, into a in lawsuit, a lawsuit with, mike Pecky, with mike Pecky, in which he was yeah. essentially bad neither here nor there crazy yeah. story uh, rsl is never boring never boring <laughs> uh, so he's he's in the mix there. Chris Leach, who has been with San Jose forever, he's been running the the sporting department um, on an interim basis since Jesse Fiorinelli was fired. Is a finalist. Uh, Chris Albright, who's been the number two in Philly for a long time, also, and then a fourth mystery candidate who has yet to be named. Uh, maybe maybe we'll get that over the line, Paul. Maybe we can maybe we can do that for the people at some point. Um, so no huge surprises among those three, certainly. Uh, we knew Leach would be in the running for sure. And Albright and Weibel are two of the names that pop up when you talk about domestic candidates all the time. So any any thoughts there for San Jose and who I mean, when I think about it, I think Weibel and Albright in particular, if you're looking for candidates outside the organization, they know what it's like to run a club on that kind of budget. You know? That that's what I was gonna say. When you look at who the finalists are, it looks like San Jose is saying, okay, who's been successful without spending? And can we pull some of that expertise into our club and be mm -hmm. a, a an effective, low-budget MLS team? Yeah. Weibel did it at RSL for many, many years on, on no budget. A few years. It wasn't there too long. Albright but yeah. has done it for, for several years as, as a number two um, under Ernie Stewart uh, and now under Ernst Tanner. Um you know, certainly that that structure has been on low budget plus academy. Yeah, and they, San Jose could use a boost in the academy. They definitely could. Sure. No, I don't know if they're going to have a Richie Graham esque boost 
where the money right. being spent on the academy is really what's driven the success there. That investment, mm-hmm. we shouldn't underplay that. There, there's been Philly, a significant yeah. investment in Philadelphia's academy, if not in the transfer market. Um, but you, you look at that expertise. And, and, of course, Chris Leach has been there in San Jose. He knows the organization. He um, you know, swung he, a big trade he, for he Jeremy Bobasi. He swung Bobesy. a big trade for Jeremy Bobasi. He's trying to show that he can do the Colorado Rapids Montreal Impact model recently. C- CF Montreal. C- sorry. How could I forget? Shame. That's a great shame on you. you know, right they now. globally are known as CF Montreal, but here in this humble <laughs> Club de foot. in this humble <laughs> office, they remain impact. Um Yeah, so it that's that's what it speaks to me. That that San Jose's modus operandi is going to remain the same. Wow. You I forgot how good. to speak French, I but speak you speak good. Latin. You speak good. <laughs> I speak good Latin. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would agree with all of that. Nothing much to add there. A few other openings as well. Houston Dynamo, still looking for a GM um, since the departure or the firing and dismissal of Matt Jordan. I would not be surprised if they're looking for a coach in a couple of months as well. Tab Ramos is out of contract there. Sam, I want Paul, to pick you, your brain here. Yeah, Who, pick my brain. If you're Houston, you're the new ownership mm-hmm. there. Name me two or three guys you're looking at. It depends, man. We don't know how much they're going to spend. We still don't know. Um, I've heard that they're going to. Uh, Ted Siegel, he had a kind of town hall event with fans earlier this week. He's, he indicated that as much as well. Um, but that is still a little bit, you know, I won't, I won't really believe it till I see it. So it depends. If you're going to go out and you're like, hey, we're the Houston Dynamo. We're going to be one of the highest spending teams in the league. Then that's a different profile of candidate than we're going to be low spending or we're going to be middle class. And I think they'll probably end up like middle, upper middle class, I would guess. Um, I, I don't know. You need to get a ton more out of the academy there, 100%, regardless of what you're spending on the first team. I think you need to do more to tap in. You know, we talked about the Liga Mekis fan in the US. You need to tap into that person in Houston for sure. Um, so that sort of drives your profile. You know, I, I think I think I know where you're going with this. And you're trying to lead me down a dentist to close a path, perhaps? No, I'm not. I, I I have two names I wrote down. I just was interested in the and if you could pick two or three names who you would. But I, I yes, I am going to go down that path. But um, I just I'm interested in where, where I think you're going. I think Weibel is going to get a shot here if he if he doesn't end up in San Jose. He played for the Dynamo for a long time, really well respected down there. I think Pat Onstad for the same reasons. He's in Columbus now, uh, has been there for quite some time obviously played for the Dynamo in their glory days. Uh, so I, I would expect those two to be in the running at some point. Um, but I don't know if that's really the profile there. I think Weibel could be. He's got the experience. I don't really know much about Onstad and what he's done in the front office in Columbus. So it's hard for me to speak on that. Those are two off the top of my head, but I don't know if I would be, you know, those don't check every box necessarily for the yeah. Dynamo. I mean, I, I I am going to go to tapping in more to the to the Latino community and specifically into the Mexican community if I'm at the Houston Dynamo. There are two names that stand out to me as options. One is a domestic option, one is not. And the other one, you know, is a name that somebody threw out at me. Um so it's not my idea, but I did some research after they No, you're they, a genius, Paul. They Claim told it. me this name. Um and I, I like the idea of of this person as a hire. Um, the first is Dennis DeCloso. You mentioned the LA Galaxy sporting director. He is on an option. He has not yet been renewed. He has not been extended. Maybe he'll stay in LA. Maybe not. 
I mean, do you think even if he doesn't stay in LA, is is he a guy with a resume that well, really really jumps? It's hard to know in LA who's making the decisions LA because I I yeah. know for a fact, having spoken to agents who have dealt with LA, that sometimes you present a player to Dennis, sometimes you present a player to Jovan Karofsky. You know, sometimes sometimes it's sometimes Chris Klein is is yeah. dealing with Zlatan. We know for a fact that you know they went and signed Ola Kamara, and then. Weeks later, signs Latan. So that's an indication of the fact that there are multiple chefs cooks. in that kitchen. Yeah, and too many cooks, and it, it makes it difficult. But I will say, I do look at some of the things where I know Dennis DeClose had an impact, and mostly the thing I like most is the integration of some of the younger players from the academy signing Julian Araujo, signing mm-hmm. Efra Alvarez, or developing and pushing for Efra Alvarez to to get more first team minutes. We're starting to see. More younger players coming through the second team now that he signed yeah. a uh, a well-respected academy director who who subsequently left to go back to Mexico when he didn't get a new contract offer from the Galaxy a couple months ago. Um, so what I'm really trying to tap into there is a couple things. One, his experience in Mexico with the FMF, the connections he has in the Mexican market, and yeah. a green light to go and sign some Mexican players. He knows them very well. He ran the national team program for a long time. If you yep. want to go sign a Mexican star, nobody's going to know more about their background than Dennis DeClosa in this league, period. Um, so that has massive value for me if I'm the Houston Dynamo. For that same reason, the other name I'm going to throw at you is Marco Garces from Pachuca. Okay. Uh, okay. The sporting director of Pachuca, he's really credited with modernizing that club. They've had moderate success. They're obviously not at the top of the table in Mexico, but they've developed, they have a very strong academy. Um, he's a fluent English speaker. He has been involved here in the in American market. From what I've been told, he just gets it. He's a guy who who gets it and, you know, I, I think would be at least worthy of an interview. Because again, I, I think the focus has to be on tapping into that community in Houston, but also putting a very successful team on the field and building an academy. So if you ha- if you look at what Pachuca's done in the academy levels, that makes sense. If you look at what Dennis DeClose has done in Mexico, that makes sense. Maybe you, you look to add a little bit more to the scouting department that works in, in Central and South America and Mexico if you don't do that, right? If you're going to go for Weibull or you're going to go for Onstad, you need somebody yeah. like... In Columbus, they had Ricardo Moreira, um, and I, I'm I'm blanking on the name of the other scout that they had who's now in Austin that was really tapped into the South American market and Central American market. You can do that type of, of hire. I'm not saying it has to be a Latino, but I do think there has to be a focus in that direction. That's all. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, I like what you mentioned about Teclosa and the Academy in LA. I think that's because I, I said it off the top. It's a really big thing that Houston has to get better at. They just have to. It's it's a it should be a great region for talent, and they've done nothing with it basically outside of Memo Rodriguez, who, you know, is a solid player, but he's he's nothing more than a solid MLS player, really. And again, I want to look back. That's why I brought up Marco Garces again. That's a, a academy of Pachuca that p- produced Eric Gutierrez, Chucky Luzano, Hector Herrera. You know, good players. Yeah, on and on. Sure. So you know, um, that to me is you look at that and you say, okay, here's somebody who has experience in a market we need to capitalize on, but can also build an academy, which is the most important thing we can do in Houston. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think both of those guys would be good fits from what you said. 
Um, so I agree with you. I was playing a little devil's advocate with you on that one. Um, quickly, Vancouver still looking for a head coach. We didn't talk about the Dos Santos firing either. I think that happened the same day as the Juarez one. Um, that to me was a little weird. They had been unbeaten in eight games in MLS. They lost a Canadian championship match to Pacific FC four to three. I believe the final score was obviously that was a little bit embarrassing for the club. It's not something they want to happen. You don't want to lose to a lower division rival, particularly one that's close by and coached by a former Vancouver Whitecaps player <laughs> in Pamoduka. Um, so that's not great, but this to me sort of felt like Axel Schuster the sporting director up there was sort of looking for a reason to fire Dos Santos. And the sort team was, <laughs> the team, the team was creeping up towards the playoff line. Uh, maybe they sneak in. Dos Santos was in the final year of his contract. And if they sneak in or if they sneak in and win a game, then maybe Schuster feels compelled to keep him. And it sort of feels like he didn't want that to be a possibility. Um, and so they fired him after a Canadian championship loss. I'm not saying the Canadian championship loss was good. I'm not saying Dos Santos did a great job there. Um, there were obviously some difficult circumstances with everything that's gone on with the three Canadian teams over the last couple of years with COVID. Um, but even still, it, it hasn't been great. Um, so I don't think it's something that you need to crucify Schuster for, but the timing was very strange to me, Paul. Yeah, for sure. Um, definitely weird timing. It's a, it's a weird job. I don't know how much confidence you have in Vancouver. If you're a coach going to that market, uh, I would imagine my guess is that they're going to go with an international hire. Um, I would think so. And so I'm interested to see where that goes. I do want to add one thing, Sam, really quickly. I know we need to go to the next open job, but with Houston, you know, we always advocate for MLS experience in the front office. I continue to do that. And my brilliant idea is that if they hired somebody like Garces from Pachuca, that they yeah. should hire Dom Kinnear as their technical director. He's a free agent, hugely successful coach, won MLS, two MLS Cups in Houston, and he could come in, transition to his front office role. Bring him back. Bring him back, help him build the club. He knows the area. He knows the club. He knows the league really, really well. That's that's the that's the hire I would make. Sorry. Okay. Maybe Onstead would be down for a different number two role as well potentially maybe he moves from columbus who knows um interesting okay and then the last one cincinnati gm they're still going through that process they fired gerard nykamp a couple of months ago now uh i expect that one you know probably be filled before the end of the season but we'll see i haven't really heard much in terms of candidates in terms of names um so yeah i think there's some work to do there obviously everyone knows about cincinnati we talk about them a lot Terrible, 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 terrible run in MLS. Uh, they spend a ton of money, and there is great opportunity there. Big potential in that market. Stadium's fantastic. Great fan base. The money is there. If you just go in and spend it smartly, you could create a pretty good thing. I look at it, and I say, Sam, and I'm going to tease our next segment here, but for me... If you're Cincy and you're probably going to have an open coaching job too and you're going to let the sporting director pick that coach, there's one name who may not be back and one more job opening that may be happening at the end of this year. That's yeah. LAFC yeah. and Bob Bradley. And if you're Cincinnati... Oh, you were supposed to tease it, Paul. Sorry. You blew it. He was I so close it. to being well, a professional it? podcaster. Yeah, it was that was that was close. But not, no cigar. Joe, edit all of this out. <laughs> No, I don't think I will. Stop bossing <laughs> our producers around. <laughs> All right. 
please continue, Paul. Sorry. <laughs> I just say I'm just saying that that's a guy who would make sense in Cincinnati to give the full power, and there's another job that maybe would make a lot of sense for him as well. Yes, indeed. And with that, we will take a quick pause and come back with our final segment. Stay with us. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. And we are back. Final segment of this week's allocation disorder. Paul just teased it. Club that maybe a certain head coach could be a decent fit at next year if he doesn't end up going back to LAFC. Toronto FC has been a unmitigated disaster this season. 15 points. They've lost six games in a row. They have one win in their last 12 matches. One win at home all season. Negative 24 goal difference. On and on and on and on. It's just kind of been a parade of misery. Uh, And they're doing this with one of the highest, if not the highest, roster spend in the entire league. They're also doing it after they finished second in the league in the regular season in 2020 and made it all the way to MLS Cup in 2019. Obviously, they've had coaching changes. Greg Vanny left after last season. Chris Harmis was hired. He lasted, I think, 11 games. And Javi Perez has been the interim guy since then. Paul, how do you fix Toronto FC? Well, it starts with at least one buyout, um, which is a, a theme with some of these bad teams of, of buying out yeah. bad contracts and starting to clear some cap space. Josie Altador, massive figure for the club, helped to win them a championship, um, and and for that reason got a contract extension 
uh, a few years back with two years ago with Toronto. Um, but you know, his, he's not been consistently healthy for a long time and there's been uh, struggles with Josie. Um, obviously he kind of had a public, um, spat with Chris Armas. They banished him. They banished him from the team earlier this year. Chris Armas banished him at least. Um, so I think, I think it's time for them to, to move on from each other. Um, so it starts there, but I think in general, this roster just needs to be refreshed. Um, I think they tried to squeeze another year or two out of a group that they needed to change after last year. And it's tough to do that when you finish second in the league. And, and instead, yeah. they, they went and they brought in a new DP in Soteldo. They thought maybe that'll add the spark you need. Um, fair fair assumption to make, by the way. Sure. Um, Pozuelo won the MVP last season, you know? Yeah, and I wonder, and he, and he hasn't been an MVP this year, obviously. No. Um, I just wonder, we didn't do the math on this, but I have to think this is one of the oldest rosters in Major League Soccer. Yeah, And it so is. They, they have some homegrown players who, who they tried to integrate in. It's huge gaps. They have a lost generation of their own. Yeah. So I, I just think there has to be a refresh on this roster. I think you buy out Josie, you know, you, you kind of bid farewell to certain guys like, you know, probably Nick DeLeon's probably not going to be back. Omar Gonzalez, I don't think you bring back. Um Chris Mavinga. Chris Mavinga. You know, even a guy like Justin Morrow, I think is probably, I mean, he's a big locker room presence, you know, less so on the field now. I could see them keeping him, but I wouldn't be surprised if he went elsewhere too. I think he's going to be a free agent. Yeah, there's going to be a demand for him as a a veteran leader around the league. You know, maybe he's interested in, in playing more. Maybe he's not. I think certainly he's made an impression on everybody with his um, leadership um, in the Black Players for Change. Um, but I, I think basically what I'm trying to say is that eh, you're looking at this job and you're saying, we need to tear this down to a certain extent and build it up again, going younger and, but probably not too young. They have a lot of young homegrown players that heading into the season, yeah. they were high on younger. And some of them have suffered, suffered injuries. Io Akinola, Ralph Preso. Um, some of them haven't performed to the standard that they thought they haven't played them as much as I thought they would, especially considering they've been in the toilet here for quite some time. There's not really a lot of uh, reason to not give them extra run at this point. Um, but yeah, I think they do need to kind of fill the gaps, right? Because they have a, they have a large gap in the ages of guys who play between those young homegrowns and those older aging veterans who have been the face of this team and have carried it for so long. And there aren't really many guys in their primes on this roster, right? You think about Jonathan Osorio, Richie Larea, and maybe like Auro. And is that kind of about it in terms of guys in, in, in those kind of sweet spot years? Um, and that needs to change in a big way. So yeah, I agree. I think there'll be a massive, massive roster overhaul. And I think they'll they'll obviously be looking. I don't think Javi Perez is going to be back as a full-time manager. I think that's probably safe to say. So I think they'll be looking for a new head coach. And I do wonder, like, I think, I, I don't know. I think Ali Curtis has done a nice job throughout his career in MLS both with the Red Bulls and prior to this season with TFC. Um, but I do wonder if if management gets an itchy trigger finger there. Um, I don't know that they should, but I do wonder. I mean, I, and I'm going to add to that in the sense of if you're making the pitch again to somebody like Bob Bradley, you know, my guess is there's going to be a discussion about how power is allocated. 
I guess. I believe. <laughs> I believe I think that's a pretty safe guess. Quite strongly that MLS has, for the most part, moved beyond a league where you can be an effective coach and general manager. There are two prominent examples of that still being to the contrary, right? Yeah. To the two top teams in the respective conferences. Sporting Kansas City has Peter Vermees. New England has Bruce Arena. Mm -hmm. Uh, Both of those coaches have deputies who they've known for a long time, who they've worked with um, well, who they've delegated power to. In New England, it's Kurt Anolfo. In Sporting Kansas City, it's Brian Bliss. So if you find that right combination, it can work, which leads me to the next portion. If Bob Bradley does go to Toronto FC, or if you're Bill Manning and you're making the pitch to Bob Bradley to go, I think you you make that pitch in that way. You you cannot be the guy alone. You need somebody that that is competent, that knows how to run yeah, a front Bob, office, Bob that knows how to been, run a sporting department. I think Bob would understand that. No, I would guess I the answer he, is yes. I don't the think he would be is, looking to do it to, on his own. You know, hand, hand pick whoever his guy is. Right? Does he want to do it with Ali and, Curtis? And, or and then the else. question becomes: What happens? Or Bill to, Manning to Michael Bradley? Yeah. Does he keep playing? Do you keep him on the roster as a player? Does he transition into his coaching career? And if he does transition into a coaching career, does he want to be an assistant for his dad to start things off? He's a, and I, I want to put, he is a massive figure at Toronto FC. Really, really important piece. I mean, the, the guy who kind of started the change in a way at Toronto. I think Josie was the first to be signed, but Michael was. You know, Michael was the, the first to be signed. Michael, oh, there you go. Michael was the first to be signed. He's the leader, mm-hmm. and so I, I think he's going to have a role at that club if he wants one. And that's where the, there's this interesting dynamic: is do you go to Bob or not? That that to me is the big question mark there. I mean, if I'm Toronto FC, I think the first thing that I'm doing, and maybe they've already done this, is I'm calling the Colorado Rapids and I'm trying to steal Robin Frazier. I'm trying to get him back. You know, he left Toronto when he was an assistant under Vanny. He moved to the Rapids. He's done a fantastic job there in the two years he's been there. He knows that club. He knows the organization. He knows the city. You know, I know he he has roots in Colorado. He played there. He's got family there. He's got a good thing going with the Rapids. But I'm guessing Toronto could probably like triple his salary. <laughs> um, like, and I'm not exaggerating there. They could probably do that. Now, he is under contract. There. Right with ownership groups, yeah, there is. There was there was tension over Robin leaving, right, and that move. And there's history between those ownership groups in the NBA with Masai Ujiri, who's the president of the Raptors, who was previously, I think, the GM of the of the Nuggets in his departure. So yeah, there's a lot of history there. Um, but you know, if you want a guy bad enough, you can probably get him. Uh, he is under contract in Colorado and. You know, having spoken to him not too long ago, he seemed very, very happy there. I don't think he's in any rush to leave or anything like that. They are talking about an extension there in Denver as well. But I mean, shoot, man, if I'm if I'm the if I'm TFC, that that's probably my first call. So I don't know. Maybe they've made it, but we'll see. Yeah, it, it's there's still a massive job in this league. It's still a top three job, I think, when you think about what that ownership is willing to spend, the fan base, the history of success in that market, the potential for where it could go. Even the DPs, as much as they haven't performed up to expectation and up to their ability this year, yeah. 
two. No, but you could you could be good next year. Yeah, in Toronto, two really yeah. good DPS that have a history of producing that have significant investment behind them. And again, if you buy out Josie Altador, now you're talking about a third DP spot that's open that you can sign a young DP, which means you then open up two young money spots underneath those yep. DPs. There is room to build and put together a winning team. And you know you have the money to spend on those three spots if you buy out Josie Altador, which will come at, you know, that that move alone oh. shows the wealth of the ownership group if they buy out Josie Altador. It's a multi-million dollar buyout. So there's a lot of positive in the shell of Toronto FC if they do break things down and start rebuilding it. I think any coach in the league would want that job. And if you're Toronto FC, and Sam, I've I've said this before, I think if you're a big, big club in MLS, you should be doing Go what steal Atlanta somebody. just did. Go get yeah. whoever the heck you want, whatever the cost. Yeah. Maybe Atlanta got an assistant coach. Look what Seattle just did. But yeah, I mean, Toronto <laughs> should go and say, you know what? If we want whoever, I don't know, Jim Curtin. Jim Curtin. Go get yeah. Jim Curtin. Nothing's yeah. stopping you. No. So Sure, he's un- he's under contract, but you can get him out. Yeah. Oscar Pereja. You want Oscar Pereja? Go get him. Go get him. 100%. Do you want Greg Van... Oh. <laughs> Maybe not that one. Sorry. Maybe not, Maybe that, not one. that one. I think that's a good place for us to end the show. <laughs> I had fun. We, we resumed talking about MLS. We'll do that again next week, and then we'll be back on the national team beat after that. Thank you for listening. As always, it's a pleasure to do this. Uh, and... You know, I think we teased this once before. Paul was texting me about it last night. Uh, but if you are in Austin or if you are going to be in Austin for that Jamaica game on October 7th, let us know. And maybe if we get off, get up off of our sorry behinds and put some work in here, Paul, for once in our lives, maybe we can organize some sort of, I don't know, live allocation disorder. Speak like, for yourself, Sam. I was doing research last night after I texted you on outdoor options in Austin, venues in Austin mm. that had outdoor stages or seating yeah. or something that we could do. Stages. Well, what we gotta sit up somewhere <laughs> with a table. You can't just sit in like the middle. No one can see you. You need you need elevation. We can be in the center of a circle, Paul, and just work the room. Yeah, whatever you say, Sam. So also, yeah. if you live in Austin and you know of a good outdoor option that maybe has the setup to do some sort of live show, which I'm guessing is a few places in Austin considering the music scene there. Let us know. Maybe we can do a little bit of work and, and set something up. Sam and I have, have big aspirations for uh, bringing yeah. on a rare a rare guest appearance on this show. We'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, but we're seeking yeah, recommendations, geez. so let us know. <laughs> yeah, and if you're interested in joining us for that, let us know too. We've received some DMs and emails from a few of you on that already. Uh, but hit us up again because we don't want to do this and have nobody show up. That would be really, really sad for both of us. And a little embarrassing too. So, you know, we don't have a ton of shame, but I have enough to be embarrassed by a situation like that. So if you're interested, let us know. And maybe, like Paul said, if you if you know any good spots, let us know those too. And maybe we can set something up. Uh, but yeah, uh, thanks for listening to this week's show. We'll be back next week. This has been Allocation Disorder.